I'm Andrew O'Hagan, host of a new podcast from the London Review of Books. It's about the bloodiest and most controversial event of the Falklands War, the sinking of the General Belgrano. Margaret Thatcher was accused of a war crime. The truth would only emerge in the pages of a private diary. This is the Belgrano Diary. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to the London Review Bookshop. Good evening, everyone, and thanks for coming, everybody. Um, this is our, gosh, sixth, seventh, seventh um, event in the World Literature Weekend the London Review Bookshop's putting on. And it's been um, a blast so far and will continue to be this evening. Um, there is no international, only different locals. We've rather shamelessly borrowed this phrase from um, Yang Lian. Um, from his introduction to the Lee Valley poems as a, as a sort of theme of, of the whole festival. So I hope you don't mind that. Um, Were you pin? <laughs> Maybe. I, um, I can't really improve on the, um, the programme copy that Laura, who's staying out of sight there, wrote. So I'm going to, again, shamelessly read it out because I think it's completely appropriate. And it, it says, Yang Lian begins his latest collection, Lee Valley Poems, with the statement, there is no international, only different locals. He began writing traditional poetry while it was proscribed during the Cultural Revolution and later became a founder of the Misty School of Poetry, the underground group centered around the literary magazine Xintian. He was exiled from China after the Tiananmen Square massacre and is now at home in Stoke Newington and the Lee Valley. His poems collapsed distances by combining a deep attention to the particular with the elusiveness of classical Chinese poetry, in which a word or image can contain all of tradition. With the cry of a wild goose, I am drawn into the Tang Dynasty at the instant of hearing, making Lee Valley's waters flow 1,200 years upstream, which is beautiful. Anyway, he will be in conversation with one of his translators, Brian Holton. Um, there are others. Uh, Polly Clark, um, Fiona Sampson, um, at least three or four others, I believe. And with them will be Ian Sinclair, um, one of our foremost novelists, essayists, um, and his writing um, defies categorization. Um, and we're very grateful that he's come here tonight. So thank you very much, all of you, and let's have fun. My, my whole adventure in this particular area started right here because uh, some, some while ago, um, 
it came to my information that a book existed called Lee Valley Poems. Now, this was a, a deeply significant event for me because this is my kind of heartland on the liminal edge of, of Hackney where I'd lived for 40 years. And it was also very much part of a, a book I was trying to work on at that point. And I saw the illustration of the cover of this book, which was deeply seductive. It was, it was this uh, reed-like photograph, and a, and a sense that it had been written by a Chinese poet made it, made it more intriguing. And uh, when I found the book in this shop, I came, came into the shop and asked for it. They said, no, 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 sorry, we don't have it. I poked about in the shelves. They had it, of course. Because downstairs, this is one of the great r reservoirs in London where they still recognize that poetry is important and it should be there. And they've so much of it, they don't even know what they've got. Uh, and there's a, there's a sentence in, in the book which I fell upon quite quickly, and I think Bill Trier translated it, um, Brian, sorry, uh, translated it, which is, every street is a translation. And this, this was a great bridging idea for me, that the idea, not only do you translate out of languages or out of finished structures, and I saw how closely what they did was really a collaboration. It wasn't the, the poet up front and the translator lurking sort of discreetly like a mechanic somewhere in the background, but it, they, they were together. They, they create this new entity. And we all do that with the streets, with the landscape, with the way you read, where you move across and that certain places become our poems, certain places become our literature. And being, being in a shop like this is a difficulty because not only are we collaborating with this human entity, this slab of people, and all of their instincts and all of their in attentions and all of their difficulties is what we're saying, but with the slender, the slender spines of all of these things that confront us and that challenge us and that have done it already and done it before. So we're all in play. All the molecules are bouncing around very feverishly. Uh, and the landscape chosen for the enactment of this book is one of the most fevered now, which was also one of the most calm. So in that contradiction, intriguing things were happening. So of course, I, I uh, inveigled myself to have a, an interview. And we met um, up in um, Stoke Newington, Stamford Hill, in a flat in a very Orthodox Jewish part of London, which was greatly part of the story. And uh, Leanne was in a rush, you know, we was, was going off, because he seems to be someone who's perpetually on the move, going in and out of numerous cultures, um, making speeches, performing, reading books, putting the books together, and seeing all the time that the, the, the local dissolves into the international and back into the local. It is a completely collaborative process. And at the end of our conversation, I remember vividly, because we'd been talking about the whole Olympic thing, in the sense that the expulsion from China was, was involved with this kind of monstrously monolithic project that was put down there and rippled outwards to discover a landscape in North London that looked sufficiently like a classical Chinese landscape to be worth thinking of in terms of metaphor. And then, ironically, to discover that that particular landscape was being overwritten by exactly the same global monolithic development that follows around and was landed here. So there were all kinds of ironies in play. And at the, at the end of our conversation was this sort of agreement that, that, that he said that 
what he felt about Hackney and what was most significant was that uh, the poets, using poets not only to mean people practicing particular forms, but the writers, artists, um, human beings were of spirit, would all come together in this place somehow and, and uh, create a new spirit that was alternative to what was going on and being imposed. And bizarrely, within a few days almost of that event and that suggestion, um, there's a the building called the Round Church just off Clapton Road uh, brought us together with, with Bonnie Greer and uh, it was astonishingly packed and astonishingly responsive to what he was saying and what both of these writers were doing and, and exactly the thing that he described had already come into being. And that's how it works. So before, before they start, I'm just going to read a fragment of the, the piece I wrote, um, having been there, um, which leads into a long uh, interview with him, which will, will eventually, I hope, appear in a book. Stamford Hill in the rain, see-through hoods over the black trilbies of Orthodox Jewish men, long black coats scurrying with purpose, ballasted by plastic-protected bags, large enough to be constantly shifted from hand to hand. Wigged women and their children, never the two together, the men and the women. Young males dressed old, burdened, or given status by their uniform of difference. Is there some inherited ocular weakness? They don't see outsiders, invaders. They walk through and they push us aside. Time is a value. There are no wanderers. There are no open agendas. I've witnessed the youths with coats off scampering in Springfield Park on Sunday mornings chasing footballs. But I never, until this most recent expedition, seen an orthodox man rambling up the east bank of the River Lee, sprawled on a bench, staring at water. A bench, Yang Lian says, sinks deep into its own nature. I watched him perform, giving interviews at conferences and literary festivals in Germany. He was intense, voluble, and committed to his perceived destiny, which he laid out in what New Labour would probably call a mission statement. Give me a single breath and I will grow roots, penetrate the soil, probe shingle and magma, and hear the sea through every artery and vein of groundwater, sharing the voyage of every navigator since the dawn of time. Leanne was unashamed of his calling and his lineage. He saw the V of wild ducks in flight crossing a Stamford Hill window and took them for a welcome sign, a letter in his personal alphabet. He remained in one place long enough to number the season's last apples on a neighbor's tree. He spoke of a process of self-excavation, worrying at the water margin he discovered on his doorstep, the deep metaphor that was Springfield Park. He relished the silence of this tributary street, its dark-coated ghosts like confirming elders of a previous existence in another country. Stoke Newington has a way of absorbing exoticism, giving shelter without fuss to writers such as Joseph Conrad and Yang Lian, toleration without celebration. The Chinese poet with his spacious flat, his scrolls and bowls, his books and bleached bird skulls passed unnoticed. His loved and recognised reed beds, the Walthamstow marshes, acted as a reflective mirror between his own flat with its accumulation of memory objects and the home on the far side of the river of one of his translators, Pascal Petit. They would meet and discuss the progress of his work in a borderland cafe. To Leanne's eyes, she wrote, 
The cafe walls, a banded Mesozoic rock, where lie by and do foo's shadows pass, each drunk on their own solitude. This is the loss we fear most, the contemplative solitude of the water margin, its accumulation of voices. Rivers and canals are stitched into our sides, changing and not changing, showing the rays of the rising sun and the transit of clouds. I came to Hackney by tracking the towpath out of Camden to the mysterious expanse of Victoria Park. I made my compromises with the life of a place by establishing a way out up the Lee Valley, which was scarred, revived, and inscribed along every inch of its urban pastoral beauty. The Lee solist Isaac Walton, Arthur Whaley, and in her own time, the photographer Stephen Gill. The explanations of its power are always different, whether it offers a willow-shaded fishing spot, an edge of the city ground for wandering and cycling, the attraction lies in its accessible obscurity, the knowledge that nothing is explained or morally improving, overwhelmed by great public schemes. When such things are attempted, they collapse as rapidly as the abortive World Athletic Championships at Pickett's Lock, scuppered by, among other things, the belching stack of the London waste chimney at Edmonton, now seen as a border marker for the car park of an IKEA warehouse in a bleak retail park that is the residue of every major sporting event. Water is memory, erasure, inspiration. Without these canals and navigations and buried streams, the urban narrative clogs and chokes. If the Lee Valley was lost, I would walk away. There are other rivers, there are other stories, in which, like Yang Lian, to search for myself. Actually, I don't know this piece. Uh, well, well, again, um, it's really great to be here again. I remember last time when I was in the same room, uh, I did talk about translation, uh, where even now the real translator is here, so I shut up about that. But uh, London is a special place where uh, Arthur Willey was here, which is translate, who translate poems into, from Chinese into English so fluently, read like English poetry. Ezra Pound was here, whom discovered individual uh, imagism, which is not only influenced the English poetry entirely, but also deeply influenced the Chinese poetry. Until today, it is maybe still the most important theory on Chinese poetry writing. And Brian Houghton is here, whom we have been working totally more than about, or maybe more than 15 years. 17. 17 years. Okay, anyway, the time is not that important for Chinese. <laughs> <laughs> but we have done really different works on all layers from a very conceptually crazy to the very neoclassically beautiful. So that is challenging to a translator, of course, to poets too. It's huge because there's no any kind of a reference exist, you know, for your work. You have to be purely creative, uh, but at the same time, you have to be really loyalty to the language, both sides. Uh, so back to Lee Valley poems, um, what Ian says was really great. 
but I just want to add one layer on that because I have done, let's say, 10 books so far of poetry, but I never actually call them like just collection or selection or something. I call them project. The each book it's a single project. That means with a specially de de uh, developed idea, or if you like, poetic, but together with a special form, structure, language, style, you know, that is particularly for this project. And uh, so you could think, or I, could, I did call, that each project is the project of, project of uh, thinking and art. So for Lee Valley, it is a very special project because not only I have been, you know, by chance or by my own or own choice, uh, have been sent to there, but actually this is a deal with some important subject of our life in the whole world today, the place where you are. You know, today we are so so-called international, but what's mean of that? You know, you there's never be any place so-called international. There's never be a place or totally empty place between different places. There is only the difference of different locals. Each local has to be deep, has to have that depth into the soil, actually into yourself. Therefore, build up some kind of understanding in this place. Then you can compare with other places. So Livale is a symbolically important uh, image, which is to show one place in, during my life. But I could say that is China. I could say this is England, this United States, or for us, also for one, you, for the wine, it's important, New Zealand. You know, there's any kind of a place, but you have to try to touch that depth into the place. Therefore, the place could be transformed into yourself and uh, into your, your own writing. Uh, so with this uh, in mind, I think, uh, that is give the kind of a, a reference about this book. So I think it's good to read something uh, from the poems, but let's say, because Brian and I, we, work, we have been working for quite long, and uh, before uh, Lee Valley, there are different books. Therefore, we select two pieces from the book called Where the Sea Stands Still. Uh, and uh, as the reference of Lee Valley, so we start from far away, from Sydney, from Australia. And uh, these two pieces uh, is a part of the sequence called Where the Sea Stands Still. And that's, again, uh, linked with the uh, concrete place, but linked with the transcendence of the understanding about the place. Uh, so this is only a part, small part of, uh, of uh, the sequence. And uh, if someone came from Sydney, you could maybe even recognize 
the way we walk back from University of Sydney to uh, to Stanmo. That's where I, I or we lived that time. 大海停止之处，一。King Street, 一直走, Enmore Road, 右转, Cambridge Street, 十四号, 大海的舌头舔进壁炉, 一座老房子泄露了, 无数暗中监视我们的地点, 我们被磨损的, 剥夺的, 再残破一点, 影子就在地址上显形, 陌生的词仅仅是诅咒近亲繁殖的邻居混淆着死鸽子呕吐出一代代城市风景玻璃嵌进眼球天空就越过铁道骄傲的保持色盲每个人印刷精美的废墟的地图上不得不拥有大海所
fugitive and, and preterite creatures that were not normally asked this, you know. Um, so a ready, a ready answer. I mean, I think with that particular poem, where you with this particular poem, you, I, I'd never been to Sydney. No, <laughs> right. Now so that's quite important. So you actually are making a map of a place you've never been. When we first, when we first started working together, Yang Lian and I, um, I had translated a couple of his poems for a magazine, and then one day I was teaching, and the phone call came, and you know. I thought somebody died, you don't interrupt teaching. And I went in, and there's this Beijing voice saying, I'm Yang Lian, I like your translations, would you like to translate my collected shorter poems? And, you know, what would you say? I just said, yeah. And that for the 17 years I've been, you know, uh, he thinks I'm his translation slave now, you know. But that landscape that I first met, at, when we first started working together, he was living in Sydney and I was living in Durham. And I had access to a computer, but he didn't. And at that point, Yang didn't really read much English. So it was all done with me writing stuff out. This line, what do you mean by this? And he, so I began to explore this mental landscape. And yes, there is, there is another thing now. I do use handwriting. I do use handwritten uh, first drafts. I write them out first. Because libraries are discovering now there are no manuscripts anymore. Because we all use Word and we, you know, we don't track the changes. And I think it's sort of quite a useful thing for generations to come, maybe interested to see the difference between my first exploration of this landscape. And then I send that to Yang, he comments on it, his English is now good enough, as you hear. And then together we, we come at an agreed meaning, but Yang very much leaves it to me to put the sonorities in. The music is my business. You know, you may find that perhaps... So it's more like a kind of libretto and music, kind of combining yes, in a yes, sense. Yes, you could say that. And, yes. and, and, and I mean, a certain words you use obviously have a kind of English or Scottish uh, colouring that are not, I would imagine, not present in, in the... In the I mean, te technically you, you can transcribe exactly what certain things are. And then there are these phrases that, that are, the, are the, the poetic words and that you've made a decision on, and they would have to be approved or discussed. The curious thing, just very briefly, the first time we actually met... Was our, our first book had come out, it was launched on the South Bank at the Poetry International, 92 or 3, something like that. Poetry International, London, anyway, it was 95 or 96. I forget something. whenever it was, but we, we went, we had to go on stage that day. First time he'd seen, we'd both seen the book, we had to go on stage that evening. We had half an hour to rehearse. And we got on stage and discovered that we both read with the same rhythm. Mm. Now where did that come from? On your part, the, the interesting uh, thing come to your question is uh, when my English was really poor, but uh, they could be clever, you know, to uh, find another way to know your translator. Yes. When I was in the United States, there was an art center, I put uh, the different translations of my same poems. Mm -hmm. Uh, and show to an American poet who simply doesn't know Chinese and then ask him to read and finally feel which the, the, the musical energies you yeah. know he yeah. likes mostly and finally he said I like lava that was the Brian's and then I didn't just stop there I wrote poems, poems back and then compare with you know closely and I find actually somehow his, his translation was the closest 
to my original. That means I, later on, I, I, normally I don't do the translation, uh, but I find that the interesting way, which is uh, uh, I always use the images like a translation and original, it's like two different trees, but growing up from the same root. And, uh, and with, you cannot cut a tree and move another land. You have to journey back to the root to touch the very original experience, not the have to be the original landscape. We nobody been to where Dufu was, Libo was, you know, Shakespeare was. The landscape changes, but landscape exists in language. That means with this special discovery and understanding of the poets. And therefore, uh, that is the, where the root is. So, uh, but once you really touch the real root, then that's real challenging, whether you have the enough ability to create another tree in another language, but with the same energy. And that is what we find we made in the very beautiful uh, okay, the second half, second part, short poem, but it's a poem about poetry from Where the Sea Stands Still, and then we come back to Lee Valley. It's actually directly follow the part uh, we read before. R. Hai lang de yi qian bu bai ke quan shu da jin ju zi, yan shi shan qu le he chang dui. 没有不残忍的诗能完成一次对诗人的采访寒冷从雪白皮肤下大片溢出灌木隐身冬天的提问总被最后一行掏空的遗体总是一只孵不出幼雏的鸟窝一个早晨墙壁上大海的反光让 把一个人醒目的埋在地下，一首诗的乌云外，什么也不剩。谁被自己的书写一口口吃掉，像病人被疾病的沉思漏掉，一部死亡的自传，用天空怀抱死者，没有不残忍的美，没有不锯断的诗
who is eaten up piecemeal by his writing, like an invalid leaks out in the brooding of his illness. The autobiography of death embraces the dead in the sky. No beauty that isn't cruel. No poet's finger not sawn away, calmly burning, setting sun between white pages, speaking out unspeakable fear. Of course, uh, my life and writing is deeply, deeply influenced by death and exile. Uh, not only Tiananmen massacre, but cultural revolution, but many deaths happened in China before cultural revolution, you know, also personal life and all this. So uh, Li Wanlei poems together with like where the sea stands still, which is end up with the land. Uh, this shore is where we see ourselves set sail, you know, all based on that. So that is um, important, but again, death and exile has never been only Chinese. After 9-11, Iraqi, you know, war and all this, I think we share so much uh, with this. So the next poems come back to Li Valley poems. And this, uh, I like it so much, Li Valley, because uh, in Chinese, there is, is exactly the surname Li. So I can easily bring that valley becoming a Chinese because everybody in Chinese, when they read the title, they say, oh, that must be in China, you know? And uh, so this is another very nice, warm feeling. Uh, so next poem, which translated by Pascal Petty, uh, it's simply called The Valley's Surname. Again, uh, Ian already mentioned this uh, famous apple, uh, which I, we can see from the window of our kitchen. Uh, again, in the poem, it's been mentioned. So that was the, one of the origins of the, of the book. Hurgo的姓氏四次见到枝头一枚最后的苹果你离着姓氏就不远了 四场下了整个冬天的雨连成一条虚线慢慢剥光你的衣服找到一个黄昏认领的洞红的焦点公园里修剪整齐的柏树忍着形式水淋淋的云层藏收藏烂掉的果肉寒风中乌鸦被它的
you see the, the very last apple on the branch, then you are close to this surname. Four rains, each one lasting all winter, make a dotted line that slowly strips you. Seeking the ice-red focus adopted by twilight. In the park, the harshly pruned cypresses endure their shape. Swollen clouds gather rotten fruit flesh. Inside the biting wind, a crow is dyed even blacker by its Esperanto. Yet, you understand. On the leafless chain of a branch, a, padlock, a padlocked apple sways, bringing you back its abandoned baby scent of a deeply sunk seed buried under the valley. When it calls you once, rain falls. But when it calls your pet name, your blood type changes. Then, in the single high bedroom of a waterlogged bird's nest, one drop drowns your whole life. In your lungs, a fatal heritage scatters snowflakes. So I was very interested in what you said about bringing classic, classical Chinese, sort of in a sense rescuing it from a particular landscape and an overwhelming sense of heritage, but bringing it out and placing it into new landscapes and new places and finding new forms that still respect those structures. Um, was there a, a sense as well as that at all? I don't know how, how deeply you read or connect with, with English poetry, of, of an English poetic that sort of related to, to the same sort of places you were describing. I mean, for example, uh, the poet John Clare was in an asylum very uh, short distance from where you're, where you're talking about, further up the Lee Valley, and, and Tennyson was also in, um, in a, going through a kind of crisis, spiritual crisis in there, and, and does this walk away. And their sense of an English landscape as, as being both classical and possessed, I don't know whether, whether at this stage English classic poetry moves across to be interrogated alongside Chinese, or whether it's still a sort of alien form. Well, uh, everybody knows that the, the classical Chinese poetry is very much to do with nature, and, uh, and uh, there was a lot of uh, natural uh, images or images of landscapes. Uh, but again, uh, like you mentioned before, you know, when we sit in this kind of a room, surrounded by all the books and the good books, that means good writers, so not only uh, those uh, uh, English writers uh, watch, uh, uh, watch us, but uh, for me, there are many layers behind those, those books because they are also the Chinese poets, you know, in all past 3,000 years, never, been sto never stopped the whole transform transforms, you know, of the poetry that built up the traditions. And, uh, but one of the important elements, I, I think it's, it's maybe for the uh, 20th century, especially after Cultural Revolution, so-called contemporary Chinese poetry uh, has missed uh, is the attention on the forms. Uh, classical Chinese poetry is not only write about, wrote about landscapes, but wrote about landscapes in the extreme artificial form. Mm -hmm. And this artificial form is uh, deeply rooted in the linguistic nature of Chinese characters. Without the characters, 
there's impossible to have this form. So, uh, so the understanding of the nature, linguistic nature, and then the energy of uh, creative uh, to create the forms uh, is, is deeply linked together. So uh, in, let's say, what I try to do is uh, to again bring the landscape, which is quite universal, but into, again, the contemporary Chinese language, which is hugely different from the classical uh, Chinese language, and therefore to create, not only copy, follow uh, something, you know, but to create the special form for my poems, where, which is a well, luckily or unfortunately, whatever, maybe no other Chinese poet tried to copy and using the same thing, <laughs> like Li Bo and Du Fu, they wrote in the same form. Uh, but at least I give the limit to myself. I give the limit to the poem, because the energy of poetry is always a link with the limit. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Of the poet, poetry form, the poem uh, we just read before, that is actually, uh, we invented this, this word, actually Brian invented in English, uh, 16ers. 16ers. 16ers, that is eight by two. Right. The two stanzas, uh, eight lines each uh, stanza, and... Uh, and you, you uh, wanted a, a structure, a form that represents... That is the build up an architecture in the poems, which is uh, you cannot talk normally the Lenner way like talk a story you know relax uh, add one uh, 10 more lines or 20 more lines no there were only six lines uh, uh, 16 lines there were only eight by uh, eight and eight so you have to build up two layers like uh, then therefore a space you jump from uh, one layer to another layer and the uh, safe space of the uh, of talkings so uh, yes it, it's like a classical poems very importantly based on lines and your eye should stop at lines not just uh, floating but uh, line by line is like layers by layers you make this uh, landscapes uh, from what well, 
inner landscapes, not external, but uh, but uh, within your language. Uh, hopefully, finally, because you talk a lot about layers, you talk a lot about archaeology, you talk yeah. a lot about excavating these layers to discover a new sense of self or a new identity of self within this structure, yeah. which is quite complex. Uh, well, complex or not, you know, the thing is uh, uh, layers, it exists, I think, in any literature, any kind of literature and, and, uh, and the language. Sure. And uh, so layers, it, nothing wrong, but, in the but uh, deeper or shallower, beautiful or ugly, they are the real matter. Uh, but uh, in our case uh, here, uh, which link with the poem we, we are going to read next one is uh, called the stroller. Okay. The stroller, uh, if you had chance to walk in Lee Valley, uh, and I recommend you to remember this poem because that uh, uh, talking not walk just on the surface of uh, land, but walk layer by layers deeper. Well, this is what, you know, in a sense, I think it's easy to do in prose, mm. but this is what I'm trying to do here. In a sense, you set up very yeah. specific images, almost like a movie, and then you drop away from that into layers of memory and yeah. layers of relation and layers of quotation. Even, and, even and it's a walk. It's a, yeah. You draw a breath and you... Yeah. And you can do that in prose, but it, to, to do it in that form that you In say poetry, is, is you could uh, remand this uh, with the language. There is a... a one brain read you will recognize a toward toward arrive you know that's a special words suggest that the, yes the the problem of course is as a translator is how do i make a text that evokes and resonates if you take a classical chinese poem that for instance uh, talks about the capital city a thousand years ago and the great sights of the city and how the glory days are long gone, just translating these place names of the districts of the city will mean nothing to an English reader. How do I make the words evoke and connotate and have connotation? How do I take Yang's layers and produce a text that has itself got layers? Mm. That's the that's the difficulty. How do you I, well I think Hugh McDermott said uh, many years ago, he said it's sinned and no sense. It's sound and not sense that yeah, fathoms the right, heart of it. Right, right. I work. I find that if I work on a sound structure, right. then the rest seems to follow. I don't know how. I don't know why. Yeah, yeah. But well, but if you know uh, the classical Chinese poetry, you will know that actually a composed form, which is the tone system, had been composed mm -hmm. thousands years before the poem been written. Mm -hmm. That means if you actually put a, a character into the place with the wrong tomb. Even uh, tomb, e even the, the character may be quite beautiful, but you're already out of the, you're already got now the World Cup, <coughs> red car, you know, out of the game. But that's, that's too complicated. Let's not no, 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 it's some poetry. It's, it's beautiful. <laughs> I, I have to say, contemporarily, unfortunately, the language has been changed so much. But remember, one character, the visual, the song and tunes, and then the meaning. That already, you have to deal with the layers because yeah. one poem means three poems. It's, it's like Odin talked about the poem as a contraption of words. Yeah. You know, like you're building a house of cards. 
and the slightest wrong move that that will collapse you know whether it's rhythm or sound absolutely you get one thing wrong exquisite go for it okay Let's read some poetry poem poem is the always talking so much better <laughs> <laughs> okay he needs a manager uh, the stroller but chinese sanbuzhe <clears throat> 水下的金鱼是否会歌唱一座城市的兴衰河边一排钻岩与毛的天鹅是否在刻画揽尽自照的少女风声灌满了他散步的自我被黑暗中一条街领着到这片沼泽里脚陷下一寸身绿漫出堤岸熟读冬天的无奈一场雨后草叶破碎的膝盖到处跪着一块云虚构一次日食他在地平线远眺中忽明忽暗繁衍有只燕整整叫过的一夜到这个遗忘里感觉被河谷温柔的吞下去感觉自己已变成河谷一株枯柳爆炸的金色投掷一只不停分娩天空的子宫听木栅栏在风中呼啸被钉死才拦住日子到达水和血湿漉漉的相似性沉溺等在这儿小酒馆絮絮叨叨的未来锁着门一城市的他端着冷了的杯子像个被栽种的呼吸走得更远埋进老铁桥的骸骨不可能更远大葱暗红锈蚀的灌木逼入窗户阳光鬼
in which a wild goose calls him continuously towards this act of forgetting, feeling softly swallowed by the valley, feeling he has already become the valley, an empty willow which throws out a womb in a golden explosion, endlessly giving birth to the sky, listening to the wooden fence shout in the wind, so nailed to death it stops the day. He arrives at the shared wetness of water and blood where drowning waits, the chattering future a little bar with a locked door. He is the entire city, holding a stone-cold cup as though planted, panting, walking further to be buried in the skeleton of an old iron bridge, walking impossibly further. Rusty, blood-red bushes burst through his window. Ghost-like sunlight appears once, revealing the swollen, dark water level settled over his head. The drowned landscape is here. In the dark, the separated lonely, hanging step is here. I think we're going to have... It is a mention which says is the William uh, Herbert, the poet uh, uh, William Herbert's translation. Uh, that's a poem. So I think now, because for time, I think we're going to have to let people ask questions. One, how can you poem? One, 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 one. <laughs> and the Brian's translation. That's important. Okay, okay. Compare well, it with, uh, with the book. We're okay. anymore, just okay. do it. That's the number four. Yeah? Just do it. Uh, because the book, especially, is uh, arranged in this way. The first half are the section of short poems, all translated by me and English poets who or do not speak uh, Chinese. So we work very closely totally, uh, well, that kind of extreme way, you know, image by image, line by line, like that. But second half is a sequence with a special structure. And uh, that part I give to Brian and he, uh, his uh, assistant purely. I didn't even look at them. And uh, just uh, in order to create uh, different tunes in translation. And so the book is a, is a kind of another project of translation. Uh, so we're going to read just one from uh, the sequence. Yeah. It's a, because directly linked with uh, Hackney. So. Uh, <coughs> okay. Anyway, this is number four. Zai Hackney, Heliu shi yi wei yin shen de shen. 深秋涨水才看得见街道下面冰川在凹槽里继续磨着木板水晶柱俯向漂泊的寒意此日独一无二的赞乔治亚维多利亚爱德华伊丽莎白要是胃或者糖呢一座黄铜壁炉间漂浮死者的灰一对象牙白的眼珠目送他的脚步一串小公园的名字漾开嘴边一圈圈的绿小教堂
船头总有一口钟拼命敲响，模仿黄浦江浓雾中那一次。地貌抱紧一个弃婴，破汽车抛在路边，距离像只马达被挖走。要是，一行中文诗纵容雨，把房间搬得更空呢？水。潜回一片沼泽的古老听力，水也厌倦了流动吧。错过也累了。一堵红砖墙像道时间的平行线，夜夜延长，就有一个人孤独的结构，让他臆想，那是他要的。舵干裂于风中。珠光在牡蛎熟睡的体内抽打，哈克尼像首绝句，珍藏让他怕的夜色。日历翻过去，本地口音的小广场，揣着肮脏的鸽子，摔得粉碎For the record, I was not the only translator. I was working with a lady called Agnes Chan. She deserves credit for this one too. Number four. In Hackney, the river is a hidden god, only seen when autumn floods rise. Under the streets, glaciers keep grinding in the rebated trench. A woodblock, a woodblock copy. Of the annotated classic of the waterways, bows to the meaning of wandering. This day, uniquely, once only, exists, soaked with light, pierced again and again by the fluttering of a water bird. George, Victoria, Edward, Elizabeth. What if it was the Kingdom of Wei, or the Tang Dynasty? A brass fireplace, where the ashes of the dead drift. A pair of ivory-white eyeballs gaze after his footsteps. A string of small parks names spread like ripples, rings of green by the mouth. A chapel, a bell always ringing desperately at the prow, imitating the one on the Huampo River in heavy fog. Landforms hold a foundling tight. Wrecked cars abandoned at the roadside. Distances dug away like a motor. What if one line of Chinese poetry lets the rain empty a room even more? Water dives back to the ancient hearing of the marshes. Water, probably weary of flowing too. Missed it. Tired too. A red brick wall, like a line running parallel to time, night after night extends. Then there's the lonely structure of an individual. Let him guess that's what he wants. Rudder dries up, cracks in the wind. Pearly light thrashes in the sleeping oyster. Hackney is like a short Chinese verse, treasuring the moonlight she fears. Leaves of a calendar turned over, a little plaza with a local accent, holds dirty pigeons to its bosom, and breaks into pieces. 
Well, we certainly welcome your questions. I'll come round with the microphone so that everyone can hear the questions. Hi, many thanks. Um, it is really brilliant to see a Chinese poet writing about the Li Valley. I'm living close by as well, oh. and so I really can relate to it in Stanford Hill and the Jewish community and so. And um, But I'm wondering, uh, last night I have been to an event also as part of the festival, and one uh, uh, writer said that actually until he was not able to go back to his country, he wasn't able to, speak, to write in the language where he was living in exile. But once when he, when he got back to his country, he wasn't able anymore to write in his uh, native language. And I'm wondering, um, like, what is your experience in writing in English? Well, that's the, 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 the question is, is, is odd, but the sentence before the question actually was very, very interesting because that, uh, um, I think, of course, we all have been forced uh, into the exile, you know, and so, uh, well, at the beginning, of course, uh, I was totally shocked because I, when I was in China, actually, I, I, my, my parents both were uh, English professors, but I did refuse to learn English because I think, why I have to learn English? Because I, my poems are so deeply in Chinese, into Chinese language. So I refused that, but I was totally regretted when I was in New Zealand and uh, just realized I'm a the poet in exile. And, but uh, after uh, the, all these times, I have to say, I gained so much from this experience of exile. And, uh, and uh, well, compare with that, actually what I lost were not that important. It's actually, I, I have to say, my understanding now is so much better than before about what's mean of life, what's mean of poetry. Um, but again, uh, if, uh, uh, back to your question, um, I never actually, so far until today, I never imagined uh, I could really live in China and write my poems. Because poetry is the, well, use the Hemingway's uh, images, the metaphor, is that the only top of the iceberg, you know, showed out of the surface of ocean. The whole real ice, which means to me, the thinking, you know, the real thinking about life uh, behind of poetry. So how, how can I actually try to censor myself or try to stop my you know, speaking or something freely, but to write poetry. And the poetry becoming really dry and hollow. And uh, I, th I don't know whether, uh, what, what was happened in those poets, but uh, uh, I imagine if I am uh, in that kind of a situation, uh, it will be very difficult for fighting with my own contradiction uh, rather than write poetry. I think Sorry, um, what the, this is fascinating because I think where you are is so multi-voiced, the particular piece of ground that you're describing, that you know, where you have the Orthodox Jewish community, there are so many languages. And I mentioned in that introductory piece, there is a way that this particular territory has sort of given welcome to, to literary exiles. Joseph Conrad is living just down the road, and he's thinking and drawing on French fictional forms 
and, and English that he comes to write in is actually his third language. Mm -hmm. And yet, by the weird accident of finding this exile, finding himself in this place, there is a fantastic breakthrough by the difficulties of actually using English and creating a form that is sort of universal and, and draws on the richnesses of all of these other cultures that he's passed through. And I think the nature of the place itself where you're operating is sympathetic to that kind of form of translation. Um, I think if, if you add to that as well the fact that if you are operating across languages or across cultures, you know, there's a sense in which if you start to learn a foreign language and you go live in that country, you can never come home because you've been so changed by the experience. You know, it's like if you yeah. go away and spend uh, spend a year in China and you come back, after, you can dine out for a while, you know, and you can tell people the stories, but after a while they go, oh yeah, China again, you know. Mm -hmm. It's mutual, I, I mean, the place itself gains exactly, hugely you know. and immensely from this transaction. There, there, is, a, there is a cheaper way, uh, actually, uh, to talk about Excel, which is uh, try to sell yourself, you know, yeah. like the uh, politics also could be market, you know, it could be trademark. You know, exile, what's the mean of that? I always asking who is not exile if you are a creative person, you know, and you not only exiled in, uh, from your own country, but also you, uh, you, you abandoned your old self. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that means uh, I wanted to say, I, yes, I was exiled from China, but actually I never exiled from a Chinese language. When we talk about that poetry tradition and the, those po poets who are continually writing, I think we were deeply connected together. Mm. And again, China is never that country only. I talked yesterday in Barcelona about this, uh, the communist version of uh, extreme materialism actually forced all people, not Chinese, but people in the whole world facing to this our own contradiction and the full try to force us everybody to accept our own censorship to ourselves so that is the situation so I'm not actually I thought everybody is joining me now and not a, not a something that kind of different how important is it that the translator of poetry is a poet himself? <laughs> well, Do you want the truth? <laughs> <laughs> or you, you want me to lie? <laughs> it's not important at all. It's really true. I'm, so, uh, I'm sorry because to me, my works finished when the original works finished. Therefore, I never actually say uh, that translation is my works only. The translation is a great creation between the poets and the translator. And actually, again, what Benjamin said, a translation is a third language, which is uh, in this world today, that uh, represents some kind of a best of uh, dialogues between the different languages and uh, different cultures. And uh, among those uh, maybe commercial, popular, whatever practical, realistic translations, poetry translation is the extreme of translation, 
which is a touching what I say that the depths between uh, the different depths in different places and language uh, of means language and they created the best uh, exchanges. So back to the question. The translation of poetry is not important for poet, but so important to the world. <laughs> I think it's very, very, very important that the translated text be a poem. Now that's the key. Uh, as translators, I mean, if we want to become legal translators, we don't have to go away and spend five years training to be a lawyer. All we have to do is to learn to write like lawyers, rather like actors, we're pretenders. And I think we all begin translating poetry, we begin by pretending to be poets. God willing, you know, perhaps in the end some of us do become poets. I have been accused of poetry myself more than <laughs> once. But, you know, it, it's to do with, back to this Hugh McDermott thing, it's about sound and not sense. If you translate the sense of a poem, this again is Walter Benjamin, if you give the reader, tell the reader the information the poem contains, then you have failed as a translator. Benjamin said this is a hallmark of bad translation because the poem is more than just the information. Yeah. So I think the answer to your question is yes, and I wish more translators of Chinese poetry were poets because it's a bit lonely, you know. <laughs> Sorry. If there are any translators of Chinese poetry, I reserve an apology. Further to what you were saying before, do you think that um, it is not possible to fully be a poet in Chinese? Within China, you have to be an exile? Um, let's say uh, when I start exile, I actually feel very painful, and uh, of course. But uh, after all these times, I find it necessary to have this uh, dissidence, uh, which is, uh, I always uh, like this position, which is, I'm, as I said before, I'm, I'm always insider of like poetry or literature or cultural, you know, of Chinese today, uh, which is growing a lot. But again, I'm also enjoying the place of out, uh, outsider, which is a, have a necessary uh, dissidence to keep a cooler eye and clear thinking about what happened there. Uh, because I saw even my friends, you know, uh, I don't want to make them feel sad, but, uh, but they, it's not to have to be uh, 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 the, the psychologically, but the subcountry, sub um, psychologically. Subconsciously. Subconsciously. Yeah, sub I, I like the first version better. Uh, Psychologically, more there is an area. It's very silent, yeah, and and people just try to ignore that, try to turn the face, eyes from that. That's that's the dangerous, uh, especially to the Chinese culture today. Uh, as I said, uh, also yesterday, China. If we we want to say in in the short that is materi material, materially huge, spiritually small. But if a poet also becoming small, that culture is really in danger. So that in that case, I thought uh, at least we, could, uh, we should have some cases, you know, 
to keep this kind of a standard. Uh, absolutely individual and independent, speaking as the thinkers of the world, but always try our best to uh, keep the blood link with the growing of, of the real Chinese culture. And keep, and keep the dialogue open with Chinese Absolutely, culture. absolutely, yeah. Is, is there um, very much that can't be faithfully translated in poetry? Oh, gosh. Um, there's a couple of PhDs in that question, really. Um, yes, of course, there are vast... I mean, Chinese grammar is very simple. No tense, no number, no gender, no verb endings, no noun endings, no articles, same word order as English, and that's what makes it difficult, because it's very simple. Right? So you're often not told who is doing what. So every definite article, every tense, every, um, uh, every sense of, uh, of marking number, number and, 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 uh, and so on, in this book is my decision, or almost everyone, 90% of them. Chinese, Chinese poetry is tenseless, numberless, and so on. It moves <laughs> in a kind of eternity. Now, that, so that means my construct has a different feeling. Classical poetry, the major problem, Yang referred to earlier, the metrics is not based on rhythm or stress or length, but on pitch, tonal patterns. Ma, 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 four different words. Now, in a non-tonal language like English, you cannot reproduce that. So you have to substitute. I would tend, when trans translating classical poetry, I'll substitute stress, accent, rather than pitch. Pitch is, uh, is completely lost. Reference, shared knowledge, an awful lot of that has to go out the window, you know. Um, you and I may be able to quote the, the words from Yellow Submarine or from, you know, Elvis Costello or whatever. It doesn't work in Chinese. And similarly in the other direction. So there's a lot of there's a lot of loss. But I think our job as as craftspeople, as professionals, is to bring something back. If we lose to if we lose pitch, then we bring rhythm in. We, we make something that comes alive on the page, audience contraption of words. We make these words sing. It will never be the same as the song in the original language. Think playing Beethoven's late quartets on the piano. It can still be beautiful music, but it's not the same. So the answer is to your question is yes and no, everything and nothing. It's the big mystery of translation. You know, we, we, we don't know how it happens, really. The black box that lies between language in and language out is very mysterious. And the, oh yes, things are lost, but we do our best. Just add a little bit. Oh, this is actually, if we talk about translation, almost everything is impossible <laughs> to simply <laughs> copy into another language. So poetry is the extreme case it's to bring this kind impossible. of a impossibility <laughs> and uh, in the front of our, our eyes and then challenge it. So the book we are editing, that is a brand new anthology of Chinese, contemporary Chinese poetry, actually just goes to totally opposite. Before, when the people try to editing that kind of a book, they always go to the easier thing. Easier to find, easier to translate, easier to, you know, something. Finally, you got this so-called middle boring middle-class things and no but people read why they, they are interesting where is the great tradition so-called great tradition 
because behind of this, so we actually goes to this kind of a so-called extreme original, which is uh, almost impossible, or maybe this impossibility is uh, one of the important reference of the good poems, and therefore to challenging those extreme translations. And, uh, and uh, therefore, uh, it, it, I hope, uh, we hope uh, finally this, when the book comes out, it's, uh, it's uh, not only few poems, but a map of thinking, which including those years uh, happened, what happened in Chinese language. Well, no, my question was about translation, and maybe you've, you've, you've had enough talking about translation. <laughs> I but can talk about it all night. <laughs> okay. Well, in, uh, I'll ask you a wee question. Leanne, you, you said, talking about both poetry and translation, that you go deep beneath the surface, beneath the, the surface geography. Uh, and then as a translator, you then bring up from that shared surface is it possible to say at what point you realize that, uh, and this is aimed at, at, at Brian Holton really, at what point you have achieved something that uh, you can say, yes, you're happy with it, but is that, <laughs> and it's to do with the sound, as you say, and not the yeah. sense. And, but it's, it's a good question. Yeah. At what, you know, as a craftsman, at what, point, at what point do you realize that the piece is finished? Yeah. That's a lot of it, isn't it? And, I mean, sadly, it's, it's very often long after the poem has left me and it comes in print and I have the book in my hand, I go, oh my God, that's not finished. You know, that happens a lot. Because it's largely an unconscious process. It's about feel and balance. and you know, It's more like being a dancer than being an architect, I think. And, and you just have to sort of negotiate away. And just as um, you, know, I, I, you learn by doing, and as the years go by, you, you, you get this kind of just feeling, you know that this is going to work. You know, just like, when you get that point where you stop using recipe books and you start just looking at what's in the kitchen and saying, what can I cook from this? You know, with more practice, then you, you realize that this balance of things is going to work better than that balance. But, you know, there are books written about this. It's I, a very in, good in Brandon's case, it's very interesting. He makes mistakes. I make mistakes. I'm sure. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But it's very interesting. He makes mistakes sometimes maybe just uh, on the surface of words. Maybe this word, Machi and the Kung are similar, but yeah. he bring the peacock into the sparrow. Into the That's okay. <laughs> but some important issues, I think that happened uh, subconsciously, like my poem 1989. You know, that poem is very purely political, but not a simple political slogan. Mm -hmm. It's actually turned the so-called collective emotions after Tiananmen Massacre, but into the passion of question everyone's self. That question built based on that when I saw all people crying and surprising after death. And my question in, inside of my heart was, where are your memory of all those died before? You know, when you, when you saw this song, seems like a first time, you know. And when you have no memory about death happened before, how could we guarantee your tears this time? It's not a washing the memory away again. Mm -hmm. You know, so the last poem, uh, the last line of the poem was, this year is no doubt a perfectly ordinary year. And that is turned the 
happening into the situation, which is timeless. And as Brian said before, a Chinese verb has no tense. Therefore, the therefore the oh other surprising friends, the American poets, and uh, you arrived very on time. Not allowed to ask any questions. No, no, no more. You are just the start the drinking time. Anyway, so the the the. I was interested, interested on this because uh, the translator, as Brian said, has to make a decision on the tense in translation. And there are several different translations of this poem, especially. And, uh, but Brian was the only one translated this poem into present uh, tense, which, uh, well, Imagine all those translated into the past tense were not wrong because 1989 has been passed. But what's the real poetic is mm -hmm. forever. So that was the one when I read this translation, I have to say, you know, that is the, I don't know which sense, eyes, ear, north, <laughs> you smile, you feel, you dream, but you have to meet the poetic. Let, let me just, just a small technical note. This particular poem, I remember one of the things that was in my mind, I come from the borders of Scotland, and uh, the famous lament from my hometown, the flowers of the forest, the great pipe tune, the great song, the lamenting the dead, the young men who die in war, is in the present tense. And you know, somewhere in the back of my mind that was there. You know, in other words, death is universal, we all have templates. So there's an archetypal thing going on. Uh, and we belong to different linguistic groups, but we're the same species. You know? So in theory, we should understand each other, in theory. But I think there's also the other thing, as I was saying to Ian earlier on, Proust talks somewhere where he says about all great literature is misunderstanding. And I think this, you know, what Jan calls Proust, um, um, Pound's magnificent mistakes come into it as well. You know, I misread a line, and yet I come up somehow in English <coughs> with the, the line that Yang would have written in English if he'd been, you know, if he'd not been writing in Chinese. And how do you legislate for that? You know, it just happens sometimes. Thank you for joining us for this London Review Bookshop event. For more, visit our website at www.londonreviewbookshop.co.uk or search for the London Review Bookshop on iTunes.